You're listening to a podcast series from Vietcetera Production. Vietnam is forecasted to be one of the fastest growing economies in Southeast Asia and the world. To understand the dynamics behind Vietnam's miracle growth, Vietcetera meets with business leaders every week to discuss the country's future growth prospects. We also learn about how they build and manage teams and why they think innovation will be key to Vietnam's role in the world order. Hey everyone, welcome back to Vietnam Innovators. Uh, my name is Ruby Nguyen and I usually host the Vietnamese version of the show. However, today I am very honored to have a chance to host the English version of the show as well. And I have an esteemed guest with me today, Professor Robert McClellan, Deputy Dean at RMIT School of Business and Management. Welcome to Vietnam Innovators, Robert. I love education and what a delight to have a chance to talk to you today. Uh, an innovator in the education sector. And before our show, I stalked you on LinkedIn and I saw that you have spent more than 20 years researching and teaching in the UK. So I'm very curious uh, to know uh, what brought you to Vietnam and now teaching at RMIT. Well, it's a lot more than 20 years. It's it's actually 43 uh, years in the UK. And really, I started out life as a scientist um, and that took me through 15 years of work experience as a scientist. Um, and then I switched to business in 1989. Well, it was 1988 and 89. Um, and then I was a member of Liverpool Business School in the UK, in the city of Liverpool, um, from 1989 until 2017. 2017. Um, and during that time, I mean, you know, obviously lots and lots of things happened in business. There was a lot of international travel. And um, I must admit, I, I sort of settled down and favoured on my travel, Southeast Asia. So I've been to many places um, as part of my educational journey. So that included Australia, America, Europe, uh, the Far East, um, China, uh, Russia, and also the Eastern Bloc. Really, there was a passion for uh, Southeast Asia. And from about 2005, uh, I was regularly visiting Southeast Asia, mainly in the area of Thailand uh, and Malaysia. And I actually met my wife in Thailand. And I think you're starting to see the reason that I'm actually here now. Um, we married in 2009. Our relationship consisted of really trips to Asia a lot. Um, and I got visiting roles, visiting professorships in, um, in Thailand, uh, which was very supportive from my university in the UK. Marriage and relationship was based on those visits um, <laughs> for many years. Um, and then I came up to probably retirement in the UK and there was an opportunity in Vietnam, uh, which I'd seen. And Vietnam being only 50 minutes flight from Bangkok, I thought this is the opportunity that I'm going to try and grab. And the university was quite prestigious. RMIT is a very prestigious university. So I made the application uh, for head of department uh, for management and was successful. What an amazing story. A lot of great life experiences, traveling around the world, meet the dream woman of your life, yep. and now having a great job. Next, uh, I would love to chat with you about how COVID has impacted uh, the future of learning. And my first uh, question for you is, uh, I, I believe that the pandemic 
has pushed the education system across the globe to almost completely online. Uh, however, the transition must be quite tough for everyone, not just the students, but also for the educators as well, um, because now they have to equip themselves with so many new skills and very fast. Um, and so from your point of view, what are the biggest challenges that you and your team at RMIT have faced? And how have you ensured a great learning experience as well as great learning outcomes for your students? Mm. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've been hit twice by the pandemic. Uh, we were hit very early on in 2020, right at the beginning of the year when people were uncertain. Uh, Vietnam wasn't badly affected then, but there was still that uncertainty. And so there was a, uh, a determination to shift to online. Um, and this, this is what we call in, in business digital disruption. And we teach it. So there was an opportunity here. It's an opportunity to practice what we teach, which is uh, we're, we're always about in our programs telling students about and, and giving examples of digital disruption. But this was the perfect vehicle because virtually the whole world was digitally disrupted with what went on because the only alternatives were to move to online, to communicate remotely, to use uh, tools like this one, Zoom, to use Teams, um, and to start using the internet more so. Uh, it does create a big divide with the people who've not got the tools to do that and the accesses, but I think we're very lucky in Vietnam. They are very technological, uh, the population of Vietnam. They're very good on their phones. They use Zalo. They use, you know, the younger people use Facebook. People are digitally aware. And so the shift was not that big uh, an issue. We always knew it was going to happen. And that shift was captured quite well by our academic staff. Our academic staff, by the virtue of the fact that they're professors and academics, they're, they're quite intelligent people. They're quite skillful on technology. And so what we had to do was try to harness that technology and switch it. Our biggest difficulty was the acceptance of the online environment for education. Students were very skeptical, especially parents were very skeptical because, you know, it, RMIT is quite an expensive institution for parents to pay for their, their child's education. Um, and it's very expensive if the student is paying for themselves. And so there's always this issue of when there's a change, are we getting value for money? So for us, the biggest challenge was trying to convince people that that shift, the pivot, the change uh, to online was um, value for money, and it would also give the right experience. And everybody was skeptical in early 2020. However, uh, you know, a lot of people said, we're not gonna do the study this semester. We're gonna miss it out. And we did get a drop, but I think around the world, I think um, people were either tied in and couldn't drop. They didn't have that flexibility or choice. Because we're a fee-paying university, students did have that choice. And we allowed that to happen. And in some courses, programs, sorry, we did reduce by maybe 30%. We lost 30% of our students who said, I'm going to defer to next semester. 
I'm going to defer until we come back face to face. But the professionalism of staff and the way they pivoted and shifted over, I think convinced many people that we did this very well. And I, I think, you know, based on the way we'd already delivered, which was blended, uh, blended learning using very sophisticated online platforms, it wasn't very difficult for us to pivot. And we developed very quickly some policies and some, some approaches that were very, very effective. So now in this second phase, we find ourselves with virtually hardly any dropouts at all. We find ourselves with students saying, cannot we have that course online? We certainly found this when we went back to face-to-face. -to -face. We're now back to online. But when we went back to face-to-face, -to -face, students were saying, why can't we have that course online in the way that you delivered it? And this has given us a real you know, insight into how we were innovative and how we switched over. I love the fact that you embrace this uh, disrupt and think that, oh, we're teaching digital transformation, we're teaching digital uh, disruption, and this is an opportunity for us to walk the talk and teach your student. And I think for years to come, it's going to be your case study, your own case study to teach to your own students as well. It already is. Yeah, it already is. And you're right. Uh, we could give perfect examples. If you remember what I said earlier, RMIT is very good at bringing the practice into the programs. And this was a perfect case study to bring into the programs. The digital disruption, which is, you know, it underpins quite a few of our courses. We gave the perfect examples of how to do it properly. Awesome. Um, so moving forward, what do you see will be the future of teaching and learning look like um, globally first, uh, post-pandemic? And then um, how about the future in Vietnam? I mean, I did a doctoral study in um, the early part of the millennium. Uh, this is my PhD subject. It's, a, it's about virtual business and it's about blended learning um, and in business, just in business, not in any other topic area. So this is particularly close to, you know, what I think. Um, and since the late 1990s, um, we've seen the shift in higher education to people using learning platforms to deliver material. But that's just a repository. It just means that we're very systematic with our material. High quality materials go onto our Canvas sites uh, at the moment. Very early on, it was uh, a learning management system called Blackboard. Uh, but now since about 2012, 2013, people have adopted a new system called Canvas. RMIT is very, very effective in the use of Canvas. It has key performance indicators for staff that everything must be there on Canvas. Slides, video, uh, introductory packages, support systems, links to the library, everything is on Canvas. We were, had a great start when the pandemic hit because this was our base. This was the way we worked. But that's not the future of education. That is a good foundation for it. And so going forward, the future really is it's, it's meeting the requirements of our society. Vietnam has got an enormous young population. Um, it's probably one of the highest percentages of young population, Generation Z, in the world. And, you know, we're looking at a generation that uses social media. 
that uses TikTok that has gone through YouTube and it now uses much more sophisticated video platforms. So what we need to do is overlay our base, our canvas material with these sorts of things that our students are comfortable with. And this is where the professionalism of staff is very important. They need to be aware of these tools that mimic social media type uh, activities to overlay them onto our Canvas material. It is all called blended learning. Uh, we blend it to suit the audience. So are you going to put your materials on TikTok? Uh, we, we don't do that because what happens is, and this is where it's, it's really clever, Teams has come about uh, to communicate. It's superseded FaceTime. Zoom has come about to enable meetings and presentations. In education, what we found is big organizations have developed software and developed tools that mimic social media, but they are educational tools. And so what we need to do as a university is look at them and see if it's going to be compatible with what our students are, are used to. But then they're not TikTok. They're not Facebook. They're, very, they're equivalents, which are educational, and they've been developed for education. One of the biggest innovations in the second wave of, um, of supports for students studying online is these virtual environments Uh, the most popular one is MyroBoard, uh, and it's being used by business and it's now being used in education. When we have a meeting with our students like this, instead of us speaking to a class, which is some, one of the things we do, we will break them out into teams and groups and teams can do that. But then they're just in the same environment. They're just talking to each other like this. But we also give them Miro board and Miro board is an online sort of whiteboard system, which allows post-it notes to be generated, ideas to be generated. Uh, it can bring in models that people can utilize all in an environment and they can still be in teams talking to each other. And you can split the screen. You can put the Miro board on. This is, you know, an equivalent uh, which students understand and can adapt to very quickly. So it's not using TikTok, it's not using Facebook, it's using the equivalents which attract students' um, attention. Hiện nay, Vietcetra Store đã mở bán các sản phẩm trong bộ sưu tập daily Vietcetra thiết kế bởi chính đội ngũ nhà chúng mình nhằm phục vụ cho các hoạt động thương nhật của bạn. Nếu bạn là khán giả trung thành và yêu mến nội dung của Vietcetra thì đừng bỏ qua các sản phẩm này nhé. Xem thông tin chi tiết và đặt mua các sản phẩm tại website store.vietcetra.com hoặc nhấp vào đường link ở phần mô tả để đến cửa hàng trực tuyến của Vietcetra. That means uh, the education innovation is moving towards creating uh, an environment where the experience is being very close to their daily Uh, experience with other platforms like TikTok and Facebook, but they're actually much more educational and being used for educational purposes. That's right. That sounds awesome. Um, I understand that uh, RMIT is one of the leading private uh, higher education institution in Vietnam, and you guys are doing so well with this transformation. Uh, however, I believe that not every educational institutions in Vietnam is doing that well. So from your experience, um, 
what is your what are your advices for for other colleagues from other institution to start uh, implementing the future of learning in the teaching yeah i mean we we have a core staff in our business area of about 85 to 100 academic staff we also have a large contingent of um Uh, part-time staff who teach in other universities. Many of them say to us, wow, we did not expect teaching in RMIT to be like this. We learn a lot from you. Uh, We have an induction process for new staff. They have to get used to our system before they start with us. And we, we have a staff development process that they must go through before they teach with us. Uh, this is usually at the front end of every semester. And they learn how to use these tools and they cascade that back to their universities. It is costly. It is expensive to to do this. And it also involves what I said before, a change of mindset. Academics have to change the way they think about imparting their knowledge and education. It is a series of events called blended learning. And so it is a big task because... Fortunately, RMIT has evolved in this process, and we've had time to do that. Whereas for some organizations who stayed in the old system, which is, you know, I stand at the front of the class and I write on a whiteboard or I write on a chalkboard, and the whiteboard has been the innovation. They've gone from a chalkboard to a whiteboard. Um, That is going to be very difficult because that evolution hasn't happened. But with technology, We know that you don't necessarily need the evolution. You can go through a revolution. And the revolution is you can fundamentally change. And and I said it before, pivot, switch completely to a new system. This could happen, but it needs to be very well thought through. And so a lot of universities now around the world, especially those that have evolved, understand about the blended approach. Um, but the, the, you know, the more stayed universities, the more uh, universities that have stayed with traditional methods, they're going to have to face up to the fact that they revolutionize rather than evolve. Wow. Uh, the takeaway is to start a revolution instead of just evolving in a natural process, right? Evolving will take more time, but with the disruption, right, the current disruption is Not enough time for you to evolve because you'll be behind if you... But one of the things disruption does is it allows for revolution because it forces people to, to switch. Uh, there's a very famous saying, which is um, everything is different, but nothing has changed. <laughs> and, and it's been said by you know three or four people through time in a slightly different way. Um, But that essentially, it's it's a great message. We are currently in an environment where, you know, nothing really has changed much, but the way we do things is completely different, <laughs> and and that is, you know, that is something that we have to get used to. Change is with us all the time. Uh, when we teach, we teach about change. Uh, it's a, an important part of business. As a good manager, you have to be able to manage change. And changes with us all the time, and that is something uh, that you have to teach separately in terms of evolving and in terms of a revolution. So you can manage both if you do it right. 
I, I think COVID is definitely one of the worst thing that happened to us uh, as a whole global community. But I guess out of this uh, silver lightning, uh, perhaps this revolution will enrich the life of the students and change the way we educate our future leaders in a big way. So many years to come, we might look back at it and f- find that this is a blessing in, in disguise. I agree. And our reputation has enabled us not just to educate students in the university, but we're very effective in corporate work. Uh, Some of the big um, multinationals uh, come to us to help us develop their leaders in leadership strategy. And this has surprised us a lot. Um, Very recently, uh, in the past year, Uh, we were invited to present at the Ho Chi Minh Academy to government officials. uh, And we did that on things like um, technology management, how to manage change and leadership. They were very, very impressed with us. And they've now commissioned us to do many other things as well. So we're going to deliver to them on digital disruption and new technologies. And so this is government. This is Vietnamese government, they recognize that this is required. I also love the fact that out of uh, the innovation happening in education, there are tools and there are platforms and technologies that can be used in other parts like business or even government management, right? That's like the case of Mural you talked about before. And there's another one called Mural. Uh, there's there's many clones of now Miro board, which is very successful. Uh, Mural is another. Um, and there are We have a a crack team at RMIT in in our business area. We have somebody responsible for online learning. They run the online programs. And and this is innovative as well. The online programs that we run, we run in Melbourne. We don't run them in Vietnam. Uh, We we offer internships to our students. And what we're exploring now is that those students do their internships online and they do them in Australia. They do them for people in the north of the country. They don't ever leave Ho Chi Minh. And, and they can do activity, they can do internships remotely. And this is, you know, along with the new ways of working, uh, because most computer programmers, most, um, you know, software engineers now work remotely online. And they never visit an office. They're commissioned, they're appointed to be online, they're given tasks, and they do them from home. And this is the new way of working. And again, we try to reflect as much as possible what is near to practice in, in the workplace. Um, that's amazing. And for next, uh, I would love to discuss with you about the MBA education at RMIT. I've thought about studying MBAs before, but I've had never had a chance to actually enroll in a program because uh, a few times when I was planning for it and then I get a job offer, I'm like, okay, I'm going to take the job. (laughs) So I would love to learn more about this from you today. So from your perspective, what are the pros and cons of enrolling in an MBA program? First of all, it will expand the mindset of of the person who enrolls. We we have this philosophy that the way we teach um, is is we give you core materials, which are very forward-looking. They're linked to um, expectations of the World Economic Forum. I mean, that, you know, the World Economic Forum has looked ahead and said, these are, you know, the 10 skills people need for uh, 2025. We pay attention to this. 
So we develop our curriculum, not just with advice from our industry partners. We have an industry advisory board. Uh, we have one in Melbourne. We have one in Vietnam, in Ho Chi Minh, and we have one in Hanoi. They advise us on, on what is required. We look at the World Economic Forum and we look at what they advise. And, and we, we make sure our curriculum is, is preparing people to be ready with those skill sets for 2025. Uh, and, you know, by 2023, we'll look at preparing them for 2030 and so on. And, and we always change the curriculum and adapt it to suit. So it will give you a mindset uh, if, if you were to enroll, which is geared towards those things. There's other things as well, which are very important to us in RMIT. The sustainable development goals are now at the forefront for most people to consider. Uh, it's embedded in our curriculum. We, we look at the sustainable development goals and you know, we, we've wormed four or five of them into our curricula as well. So people are going to be prepared for a future which is looking at sustainable developments. They're going to be more analytical. They're going to be more problem solvers. I mean, these are the World Economic Forum things. They're going to focus more into leadership and being creative. So this is the, 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 the positive. These are the pros. Expand the mindset, but also the skill set. And, you know, getting people to be more entrepreneurial in their outlook. You don't have to be a sole entrepreneur. Most multinational business now wants a, a psychological profile of employees which has an entrepreneurial mindset. We've done this with a lot of big companies. They're psychometrically assessed. They're coached by us. Uh, they're developed in leadership and strategy. But their psychological mindset uh, the companies want them to be entrepreneurial. Uh, they want them to be motivators. They want them to be, you know, um, certain types of leaders. And so this is the thing that we engender into our students in the way we teach our courses. Uh, that's really amazing. I also look at the World Economic Forum's the top 10 skill that is needed for 2025. And then I compare it to the top 10 skill in 2020. And I realize that about six to seven skills are actually new skills that hasn't been in that list before. So the change is so fast, right? And I have heard that um, many people actually criticize education. And I'm not sure whether to how you think about this, but um, that educational institutions don't innovate fast enough to adapt to the real changes in the market. So what is your views about this? How does RMIT address this fast-changing business environment in your MBA program? Well, um, let's not forget the cons first, by the way. The cons are you have to work very hard. Uh, and that, that is one of the requirements. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's very, very uh, discipline orientated. Uh, you have to get the mindset is part of that. It gets you into a discipline. It gets you into a work ethic. Um, so moving away from those cons now, oh, we're also expensive, I'm sorry to say. That comes with the reputation and the brand. Um, and, and to have an MBA from RMIT is, you know, second to none, really. And, and, and just to note that in the future, uh, in the next two to three years, uh, we will acquire AACSB status. And AACSB status for an MBA and any program that we offer 
uh, means we're in the top 2% in the world in terms of uh, accreditation. So if you've got an MBA, which is from an AACSB institution, that means, you know, that has a lot of, of mileage and travel. Um, so the way we, we, we prepare for this is, is really to, as I said before, have a curriculum which is ready. It, it's, you know, we take it on board the SDGs, we take on board the World Economic Forum recommendations, and we take on board our industry advisors. But when we deliver the programs, we use uh, a combination of, of assessment, which is, you know, we're very proud of. And, and we think this gives us a, a competitive advantage over everybody else. We relate our uh, assessments to real work problems. We bring the industry in. They speak to our students. Sometimes they set the problems for our students and the students tackle those real world problems. And the people we bring in to speak are CEOs, uh, their directors of companies, and this gives the reality to the students and the rigor uh, of what is required in the workplace. So they get the benefits of that. The assessment is innovative uh, because it's, it's around real world problems. It's also innovative because we don't use examinations. We've removed examinations completely from all of our MIT courses in business, but the assessment is still very rigorous. It is not easy, but it's related to real world situations because in the real world, you don't do examinations. You solve problems, you undertake tasks, you work as a team to provide solutions. Ideate, you are creative. And we try to engender that into all of our postgraduate master's level students. I love hearing the fact that there's no more examination. <laughs> yeah, it takes away some stress, but there is still deadlines to meet for assessments. Just like in the real world. Yeah, they... they right? At the you know, workplace, it, you have deadline, you have assessment. That's right. It's exactly the same. And that's what we try to mimic. Um, so I've heard that um, usually during an economic downturn, there would be more people enrolling in, in an MBA program. Um, I'm curious about from your perspective, why is it so? And uh, why should people consider an MBA program during the pandemic? And what do you think would be the job prospects for them after the graduation? Well, first of all, uh, it's a paradox, which means it's the opposite of what you expect. Um, our enrollments have increased massively since the pandemic started. Uh, when I came to RMIT in 2017, uh, one of my foci was to grow the department of management. Um, we had approximately 2,700 students in the whole of the school on all of our departments and all of our programs. Today, we've got probably double that, 5,500. 5,600 students. That's in four years. Since the pandemic started, uh, there are a couple of reasons for that. And that is, you know, people cannot travel overseas anymore. Uh, so they're restricted. So our numbers have increased dramatically because those people going to the USA, to the Ivy Leagues, those people going to Europe are restrained and, and they're constrained to stay in Vietnam. So they've said, well, RMIT's here, we might as well enroll with them. And we've seen a massive increase in numbers, but we're not 
um, you know, we're not overwhelmed by that and we're not taken in by that because it may be a bubble and it may be only for the period of the pandemic. However, with the MBA, we've seen an increase in numbers year on year since 2019 of 127%. And currently, out of our 5,500, 600 students, almost 1,000 of them now are MBA, which is great because we've, we've seen it grow from a base of about 400 in 2019 to almost 1,000 now. So... 127% increase, 19 to 20, 20 to 21, it's the same, 127% increase. So there is this demand for MBA. What will it mean for the market in uh, the marketplace in Vietnam? It means you're going to have very well-educated workforce from RMIT. Um, and you're going to have people, a lot of people with MBAs, but those MBAs are going to be very relevant to the new work model. And I think Vietnam would benefit from that greatly. Um, I think also you've got to watch that we have expanded our postgraduate education into PhD as well. Uh, when I came to Vietnam, we didn't have a PhD in RMIT. Uh, to date, we have now got 37. PhD students uh, doing very, very important work, um, lots and lots of research projects. And this gives opportunity for people who've got MBAs to consider doing a PhD as well uh, and getting a doctorate. And our doctorate success is, is that we've got almost now 14 people to the final stage in less than four years, which is fantastic for our PhD program as well. So these things go hand in hand. We underpin our MBA with very strong bachelor's programs, very focused into the market in Vietnam and what the market wants. We have a very good MBA, which is practice related, business related, and it meets new skill sets. And we have a PhD program that overlays that. It's that synergy in, in RMIT that is really important. We also work a lot with the industry uh, and now government. So all of these things are create this synergy for MBA students to benefit from. Hiện nay, Vietcetra Store đã mở bán các sản phẩm trong bộ sưu tập daily Vietcetra thiết kế bởi chính đội ngũ nhà chúng mình nhằm phục vụ cho các hoạt động thương nhật của bạn. Nếu bạn là khán giả trung thành và yêu mến nội dung của Vietcetra thì đừng bỏ qua các sản phẩm này nhé. Xem thông tin chi tiết và đặt mua các sản phẩm tại website store.vietcetra.com hoặc nhấp vào đường link ở phần mô tả để đến cửa hàng trực tuyến của Vietcetra. So let's say if I'm a student and I have not had uh, much work experience yet, from your point of view, should I start enrolling in an MBA program now or should I start working first, gain some experience? And then a few years later, I'll come back and enroll in the program. It's what we call a, a chicken and egg problem. Um, the MBA that we have at the moment is not an EMBA. It's not an executive MBA. There is no barrier to people going straight from bachelors into our MBA program. Uh, for an executive MBA, we usually require people to have three years experience. But uh, trend-wise, EMBAs are not very popular now in Vietnam. 
They're not popular in Ho Chi Minh. They're not popular in Hanoi. We've seen a decline in those. So we've had to prepare for that. And we've always had in parallel, and the MBA will take people straight from graduation. So the opportunity is there. It, it knows that people are not necessarily going to have the work experience. And therefore, when we deliver our program, we, we take that into account. For those people who have had work experience and maybe have been a manager for a year or two and decided to come back to education, we do have an exemption policy which exempts them from very basic courses. Um, and especially if they've got a business degree and they've got the business work experience. So we facilitate all kinds of opportunity. You can come back and have the experience uh, already. You can come straight from a bachelor's or you can come with uh, one or two years experience and we can give you exemption. So the answer is uh, I should enroll now. You'd be very welcome. <laughs> Uh, uh, we do we do have a, an entry requirement, which is a bachelor's degree, um, and we also have an IELTS requirement because obviously RMIT is an English speaking institution, and the requirement is that you have to have a certain level of IELTS, and you but your English is exceptionally good. Oh, thank you. So no problem. <laughs> My next question actually relates to what we've discussed about before in terms of like the fast changing working and business environment, right? Um, one of the top skills, we also mentioned about World Economic Forum's top 10 skill, and one of the top skills, I think number two or number three on the list, is active learning and learning strategies. I believe that in the curriculum right now, you're teaching your students so much, right, to prepare for the future. But after the graduation, they still have to learn, they still have to adapt to changes every day at work and in the business. So how do you teach the student the skill of how to learn, that it can continue benefit them years after the graduation we actually don't teach people how to learn i mean we're not we're not a master's or a bachelor's in 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 educational management or or learning development that that's not what we do what we what we do is we create the environment for the learning and this is this is why it's important to think through Uh, curriculum and the way it's delivered and the, the way we deliver it. We don't teach people how to work in a team. We put them in a team and we let them develop in the team. And they learn in the process, right? Uh, so we don't say this is how you work in a team. We will discuss that in one of the subject areas, which is uh, leadership uh, and development. But we will we will not do that first. So. It may be that they come to do um, a subject. I'll, I'll give you an example of my own subject, which is design thinking. So design thinking is one of our um, courses that meets the requirement for the World Economic Forum because it's got ideation in it. It's got creativity in it and so on. And it is a completely different approach to solving business problems uh, because it's taken from design. And design thinking is now a big uh, process in business. And what we do is we bring companies in, uh, they give a problem, and we put people into teams, and we give them direction. We, we say, how are you going to solve this problem? And, and in their teams, they, they have to do some pre-reading on what design thinking is, but they, they literally are thrown in 
to solving a problem as they would be in a business. And they have to brainstorm. They have to look at uh, an approach of models. They have to address what the customer needs are. They have to do customer profiles. They have to you know, look at um, what we call a business canvas related to a business process. And these things are, are picked up as they go along and they learn as they're doing. So it's, it's effectively, again, one of the World Economic Forums, learn by doing, learning the process as you go along. So we don't say, this is how you do it. We say, just do it. <laughs> That's and they amazing. learn from each other. This is very much, uh, you know, the approach. We, we, the way we assess them is what we call authentic assessment. So they do something that is real that they would do in a, in a business. They, so they would have to present back their findings to the client. They would have to uh, give a report to the client. I mean, I am the client, but the, the real client will see the report. They will get the benefits of consultancy, but they won't mark them. I mark them. Uh, but, but the thing is, they, they doing, they're doing real authentic assessment on a real problem. And, and this is... This is the way we engender the work ethic and the skill set and the mindset into them. I love how it's so, so real in a, a normal work environment. You just have a problem and you're thrown into that and you solve the problem. There's no preparation. There's no exam, but you just got to team up together and figure out the solution for it. Yeah, that's really cool. I would love to see that uh, more in uh, most educational environment as well. Yeah. Well, we do, we do um, put them off to work on their Miro boards. We put them off to work in their teams. They go into a team's meeting. Uh, they, they do things in a Miro board. And the really good thing about it is I can go into the Miro board and watch them work. And I can send them notes. I can say, this is really good. Keep doing it. You're on the right lines. Have you thought of this model? And there's a pallet on the side. We can pick a model up. We can pop it in. And, and then the team says, right, You go off and learn about that model. Come back and tell everybody in the team. And, and they, they use the model in, in an appropriate way. This is real life. This is, this is what people do in real life. Yes. Yeah. This is what my team and many other teams are doing at work every day. Yeah. Um, yeah. So next, I recently I read a study um, about Vietnam-based businesses. And it's conducted by RMIT researchers and K, uh, KPMG Vietnam. And it revealed that many businesses in Vietnam lacks the leadership ability to drive innovation. And it's one of the reasons why many digital transformation projects failed. I would love to learn how you design the curriculum and learning framework to fit the needs of the Vietnam market specifically. Um, in other words, how do you prepare your students to lead businesses in Vietnam? Well, I mean, this is, this is one of the, the reasons why it's good to be diverse. We have corporate clients, we have government clients. We look at how to manage uh, digital innovation with them. And we translate that into our curriculum. And so, you know, if you look at the curriculum for the MBA, for example, uh, we've got management of technology and innovation as a core course. We've got design thinking as a core course. So people will learn in these, um, in these courses uh, based on our experience with the industry in Vietnam and the business and the government. Uh, and it's important to, you know, to span both because they've, they've got their 
different challenges based on innovation. Uh, one of our, our newest clients is Vietnam Airlines, and they want us to, to look at um, um, digital disruption. They want us to look at strategies for managing digital change. Um, and the, the advantage for us is if we're doing that with Vietnam Airlines, we can translate that into the classroom and say, look, here is a real example of what we did with Vietnam Airlines. This is what their leaders are trying to get on board. Um, and, and, and we can transmit that information to our students so they can go out into the world with lots of real examples, lots of real assessments and hit the ground running. Well, after hearing you sharing about this MBA program, uh, first I congratulate uh, RMIT on having growth of 127% year over year on uh, student enrollment. But I think about 1,000 students is not enough for the workforce. I really hope that you can enroll tens of thousands of students in the years to come so that uh, you build up uh, the, the very strong future workforce. Well, it, it's 1,000 MBA students. Um, but we've, we've got um, 4,500 business undergraduates uh, who are going out with skills that people never even thought about a few years ago, digital marketing, which is vastly becoming our, our most popular program, uh, international business, you know, management, um, digital business. And in 2022, um, the College of Business in Melbourne and RMIT Vietnam will introduce a completely new set of programs uh, focused into majors and minors and make the whole pro process of business education much more flexible and very, very relevant. There'll be you know, majors in blockchain. There'll be minors in blockchain. There'll be minors in fintech. Uh, there'll, there'll be all kinds of, yeah, and AI, crypto, you know, crypto uh, currencies, We'll be looking at uh, courses and minors in uh, in very new subject areas, which will really prepare people for the workplace. That's really on trend. Uh, before we end the interview today, I, I have some short and fun questions for you, and you can answer it in about 60 seconds. Okay. Um, this, this is just to light up everyone. Uh, we've talked about innovation, we we'll talk about education, we we'll talk about MBA. Very yeah. important to your subject, so let's just have some fun. Okay. Now, my first question for you is, what your students don't know about you or misunderstand about you? I don't know about misunderstand. What they might not know is I'm absolutely fanatical about uh, music. Ah. I'm a big what music What kind of music? Uh, everything. Uh, I'm eclectic. Probably not country and western, uh, but... Uh, initially in the 70s, I was a very big rock fan. I, I think I'd seen most of the big bands um, in the 70s. Um, but really, my passion is soul, funk music and jazz. Next question for you. What do you enjoy the most about your work? I think, oh gosh, uh, the diversity. I think, uh, you know, the people really, I mean, the diversity in people. We've got 27 different nationalities in, in RMIT. And I think we've got about 15 or to 20 of them in, in my school. Um, so people from all over the world, um, about 40% of them are from Vietnam, but we've got a, a massive range of people working with pe different people every day. Uh, I think the research is, is very interesting now in RMIT. I think certainly the satisfaction 
of the teaching of, of turning out graduates every year in, in doctoral study, in master's study, and in bachelor's study. And I think since, you know, it's, it's very satisfying now. Quite similar to me, one of the biggest area of satisfaction for me at work is to be able to work with such a diverse uh, group of people. And I learned so much from them. We saw problems together. It's so fun. Uh, even the chance for me today to meet and talk to you is a part of that diversity. What do you think is the worst advice that have been given to students that you have heard? Oh, I've heard some bad things for students. <laughs> um, oh, gosh. I mean, we're, we're moving into an environment now where we're going to get very flexible about people being able to choose their majors and their minors. You can, you can, you'll be able to do a degree with two majors. You'll be able to do a degree with a major and two minors. It's going to be very flexible. In the past, it used to be constricted just to one major. And some of the bad advice I've heard is, you know, choose your major to get yourself a good job. And, and sometimes people, they're not happy with the major they've chosen. And they go out and they do a completely different job because maybe they were influenced by their parents. Maybe they were influenced by somebody who thinks they know what is good for them. Really, it's up to you. If you pick something you enjoy doing is, is really the best thing, best advice I can give a student. It always amazes me that people choose engineering or maths and then go and work in the city as an investor. Why? Why did you do that? I mean, why didn't you just do investment? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, giving bad advice to people to say, choose your major to get that job when they don't really know the person. Thank you so much. Uh, I hope the students out there who's listening to this will take this uh, advice. And that's the end of our conversation today. Thank you so much, Professor Robert, for spending Thank time you. with us, for sharing your wisdom and uh, all the best. Thank you. Vietcetra's Vietnam Innovator Series is only one of many podcasts hosted by the team. We also have Have a Sip, hosted by our VP of Content, Thuy Minh, as well as the Vietnamese edition of Vietnam Innovators, hosted by Vietcetra's Chief Operating Officer, Ruby Nguyen. Look out for more podcast production soon from the Vietcetra team. You can also check out the video version of this podcast on our other platforms such as YouTube and Facebook. New episodes are out every week, so don't forget to subscribe to Vietcetra's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube channel for more interesting content. Hey guys, good news. Vietcetera has now officially rolled out a mobile app for Android. Now you can download our mobile app on both the Apple iOS store and the Google Play store right now. More functions are coming very soon, so stay on the lookout.